All right. Good morning, church. Uh-oh, I hear a little buzzy. Well, hope you guys are all having a good weekend. You guys enjoying it? The weather's been a little bit nicer to us. Um, I'm going to tell you a story happened yesterday. So my wife and I were getting ready in the morning, and uh, Josie and Zeke were in the house playing around, and I go into the front room, and uh, he had this little cup in his hand. Yeah, I knew he had got it from the bathroom, a little mouth-washing cup, and I figured, okay, he's probably got some water in there. He should be fine. Well, I get dressed, and I go back uh, in the front room, and I noticed his whole shirt was drenched, and there's water on the floor. I'm thinking, okay, it's this little cup. I'm thinking, how much water did he manage to bring out there? So I go into the bathroom, and I'm figuring there's probably a mess in there as well because the water trail goes into the bathroom. And I look at the kitchen sink or the, the bathroom sink there, and there's like no water on there. Like all the water here, and there's none by the sink right there. And what do you know, the toilet lid was up, and the water looked kind of empty. And then there's the dog bowl in the corner, and there's water all over there. And um, so for the, you know, you ladies who give, you know, my son Ezekiel kisses and all that stuff. <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyways, I try not to think about it too much. It's kind of disgusting, but I <clears throat> just wanted to share that with you all this morning. <clears throat> um, so this morning, I want to put this out there before I begin to share. If there are younger children, small children um, in here this morning, uh, this message may not be uh, fully appropriate for them to hear. So I just want to put that out there to you all uh, before I begin to share. And all the air was sucked out of the room just now. But this morning, I want to share a message. Um, it's called God's Holy Temple, colon, I see an elephant. God's Holy Temple, colon, I see an elephant. And so you guys know the past couple of weeks we've been doing our best to preach on covenant community. And one of the things uh, Barry had mentioned a couple of weeks is you address the elephant in the room with family. And as we are building God's temple through relationship with one another, Paul says that God's temple is holy. He says we're growing into a holy temple. And so this morning, as I was preparing uh, this, this past week, I, I had around eight to nine things I wanted to begin to share um, as far as building God's temple and it being holy. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to erase majority of those and focus on one of them. And one of the issues that you will see in the church that's not talked about much is the issue of sexual morality. The issue of lust, fornication, any sexual activity outside of marriage. And so this morning, I want to hit that head on. I, it was my, it was, personally, it was, I would rather share other things. I'd rather go the other route because I know it's not popular, it's not cool, people don't like this. But when you look at God's word and what his word says, and that we're a holy temple, this is something that we cannot budge on. We cannot move from. It doesn't matter what the culture says. We're living in a culture that is hypersexual. Everything is sexualized. You, you, a commercial about deodorant is like super sexual. You want to go buy some socks, you see a commercial on TV. It's like the sexiest commercial, and it's just socks. <laughs> we were watching a show this past week, and it's, um, it was a show in black and white. I forgot what it's called. Allison would know. But there was a part where the married couple was sleeping in two different beds in the same room. And I'm like, man, I've never, like, seen that before in my time. But I guess that's, like, what they used to do back in the day. Is that right? Oh, on TV. Okay, yeah. So I was like, that's really weird because today there's no trace of that at all. And so let's pray. Father, you've called us here this morning for a sacred assembly, that you are a holy God, and you've called us to be holy, 
because you are holy. And Father, I pray this morning that we as your people would be holy, that our thoughts, that our actions, our motives, everything, God, about us, our words would be holy. Holy Spirit, come and speak, come and move. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> A couple of things as I was thinking about why does the church not really talk about this. Um, one reason why is because I feel like there's a part of us that we do not believe in the power of the gospel to transform our deep inner struggles with sexuality. Do we believe the gospel will touch that in our lives? The gospel will touch everything except that. It'll touch someone who struggles with smoking, with, you know, other cussing, gossiping, but when it comes to this, we're just like, oh, God, this is, you can't really go there. It won't go that deep. It's not really effective. We just have to keep fighting and just kind of struggle through and, and, and hope, hopefully we make it uh, to the end. I remember when I first got saved, so on fire for the Lord, and this issue came knocking on my door, and I literally just thought in my mind, oh, you just got to do the best you can. That was my thought. No one had told me about Romans 6. No one had told me about abstaining, fleeing, sexual immorality. I just thought you just have to really try. Another reason in talking about this, we fear that if we talk too much about it, it might stir some stuff up. You know, it might awaken love before it's time. But, beloved, this morning I want to tell you it's already been stirred. If we, we're gonna, I'm going to go through some statistics concerning the church and this issue. It's already in our midst. So to not talk about it, we're not doing it any justice. So or can we go there this morning? Can we go there this morning? Another issue or another reason why we maybe don't talk about it is because of shame, condemnation. We're afraid we're going to be judged, looked at differently. Well, hopefully by this morning, me sharing, I'm going to go first. I'm going to put some of my stuff out there, and maybe we can start having conversations about this issue with one another. God wants his temple, he wants his church to be a safe place where there's trust, there's vulnerability, but also there's the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm all for being open, honest, and vulnerable, but I want the power of God too. So God desires that his church would cultivate a healthy culture of trust, vulnerability, and power so that we can fight together, we can pray together, and walk in holiness together while living in the midst of a perverse generation. Check, check. Pulling an audible here. I know this topic is probably going to be somewhat heavy. I don't intend for it to be heavy. If you know me, I'm a person, and I, I love people. I love making people feel comfortable. But this morning, I really do feel the Lord wants to make us a little uncomfortable. Okay, so we're, we're just going to dive right in. Can you open up your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2? So we know Paul says that we are a holy temple. First Peter, chapter 2. Let's look at what Peter says about God's church. Verse 5. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. He says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, 
to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 9. But you are a chosen generation of royal priesthood, a what kind of nation? Holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but now you are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. So Peter even says, we're a holy nation, we're a holy priesthood. Why? Because God our Father is holy. Because his word is holy and his spirit is holy. So we can't get away from the issue of holiness because that is who God is. A couple of quotes from some brothers in the Lord. Who, they say this, unless our faith makes us pine after holiness, it is no better than the faith of devils. And perhaps it is not even so good as that. A holy man is the workmanship of the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, there should be a longing in your heart to be holy as God is holy. Another person says, holiness has never been the driving force of the majority. It is, however, mandatory for anyone who ever wants to enter into the kingdom. We know the word says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Another brother says, without holiness on earth, we shall never be prepared to enjoy heaven. Heaven is a holy place. The Lord of heaven is a holy being. The angels are holy creatures. Holiness is written on everything in heaven. Another one. God has one destined for one destined end for mankind, holiness. His one aim is the production of saints. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save men out of pity. He came to he came to save men because he had created them to be holy. So Peter affirms that in the scriptures we just wrote. Now let's look at the next verse, verse 11. Okay, he's declaring you are a holy people, a holy nation, a holy temple, a holy priesthood. Okay, Peter, thank you for your encouragement. I, I hope I, I believe that now just a little bit. Well, he goes on, verse 11, beloved. Another way to say that, divinely loved ones, I beg you. That word beg, it paints a picture of someone literally coming alongside and pleading with you. So this is Peter getting on his knees saying, beloved, divinely loved ones, church, I'm begging you. I'm asking you. I'm pleading with you. In the Greek language, this word beg is somewhat connected to the word paraclete for the Holy Spirit who comes alongside. So he's coming along, alongside of us, church, this morning. I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. You're a holy people, a holy nation, a holy priesthood, but there's one thing I'm begging you. Abstain from this one thing, fleshly lust, because it's warring against your soul. When I first got saved, as I mentioned earlier, I wish someone would have told me this because I'm on fire for Jesus, I'm loving him, and I hadn't even read through the whole Bible. And I got caught into some sin where I was actually partying, going out drinking Saturday night, going to church Sunday morning. And to be honest, I thought that was the normal Christian life. You do the best you can. I would have sex Saturday night, Sunday morning, show up and just try to get past the guilt, get past the, the feelings that are kind of in the way. And the thing was, is that, as I mentioned, I never even read the whole Bible before. But something in me, I didn't know it at the, at the time, but it was the Holy Spirit who was convicting my heart, saying, No. No, that is not okay. And I remember there's one night I'm praying, I'm seeking the Lord because 
my, the basketball team, I played basketball there. They're all out partying, drinking, doing their thing. And they had texted me that one night. And they're saying, brother, hey, man, pregame at so-and-so's house. And here it is again, sin knocking at my door. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, what do I do? I have failed 1,000 out of 1,000 times. And I remember I'm saying, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to live for you. But you have to take this away from me. This desire in my heart for sexual sin, you have to take it out of my life. I ha- we have to get rid of this, Lord. And I prayed that prayer, and I meant it with all of my heart. And that night, I said no to them. There was something shifted in me, and I realized I had the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to actually say no. That self-control actually began to work in my life. And it just wasn't, I just go with the flow and go with my emotions. It's like, no, I'm actually in control here by the power of God. So he says, abstain from this. The next thing he tells us is that this is the war against our souls. Think about that. This is the very war that's coming for your soul. And to think we don't talk about it, to think we don't go after this issue, is not okay. Jesus is confronting this issue in the church. Here's what's interesting. In the book of Revelation, there's the great harlot, the great prostitute. And listen to some of these scriptures about what she is doing. This is the war that's going on right now. Revelation 14, verse 8. Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of her fornication. Fornication is sexual morality. Sexual morality is any sexual activity outside covenantal marriage. Chapter 17, verse 2. It says, one of the angels said, I will show you. The judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters or many peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues with whom the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality. Chapter 18, verse 3, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have gotten rich from the power of her sensual behavior. Another verse Chapter 19, verse 2, the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality. And it goes on to say as well, John says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. Think about this war. This is not a war that happened years ago. This is a war that's still happening today in the church. And there's a picture of this end-time war and the struggle that we're going to continue to have to fight and resist the issue of sexual immorality. I want to read some stats to us. So the United States, the country we live in, produces 60% of pornography worldwide. The United States produces 60% of all the pornography worldwide. The next nation that's coming in second place, next country, is the Netherlands. They only produce 26%. Think about that. Here we are, 60% coming in second place 26%. You've heard this stat before. The porn industry annually, their revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, MLB combined. Its combined revenue is is more than ABC, CBS, and NBC put together. 47% of families in the U.S. reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 56 of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornography websites. 
55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. This is sobering. And I, I hope you know my heart this morning. I'm not coming to us and beating us up with a baseball bat. Like, I'm, I'm standing with you. We're in this together. But if we're going to build God a temple that he wants, he said he wants his temple to be holy. So this morning, even during worship, we're talking about the blood of Jesus and the cross. The Lord is trying to clean our lives up. His redemptive judgment is here this morning. He's coming with a penetrating gaze, his eye upon our lives. He's coming to judge us, but it's redemptive, meaning he's, he's wanting to turn it around. He's not here to cast us away until forever. No, it's redemptive. He's coming to cleanse our lives. Here's some more statistics. 11 years old is the average age that a child is, that a child is first exposed to porn. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with this issue in the last 12 months. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they've never watched porn. 68% of church-going men And over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. Not to mention the U.S., we're top three in the runnings for sex trafficking. The state of Florida is top five in America for sex trafficking. So if we think, as I read those scriptures in Revelation, if we think this issue is just a little secret side issue in the corner, it's not. This harlot woman is just screaming this in our face, pushing this through our television screens, through our cell phones. I remember one time, there was one night, Allison was actually, she was not in town. She was gone for the weekend, and I'm scrolling through Facebook. And as I'm scrolling through Facebook, I heard this female voice moan. I'm being serious. And I couldn't even see, I didn't even see like it was a video or whatever. I heard that through my phone. Instantly, I feel like the Holy Spirit came on me and I threw my phone down and I said, no, not today, Satan. But the perfect opportunity, Alice is not home. She'll never know. Not to mention the issue of abortion and all the sexual morality tied within with that. I mean, I'm reading Revelation, this harlot woman, and I'm thinking, Lord, that, that's the United States. That's our country. We're leading the world in all of this. A modern-day Rome. So is this issue not warring against our soul, as Peter said? Whether you're single, whether you're married, it doesn't matter what it is. But I do, I thank God there are a handful of people in our body who used to participate in homosexuality, and the Lord has delivered them, and they are continuing to fight to this day, not to go back into that kind of lifestyle. I had a brother text me this past weekend, said he got a text from a, a friend who, you, who got delivered from that lifestyle, slips back into it, and he starts texting him. And he calls me, what do I do? I said, block him. If that's going to pull you, don't, don't, even, don't try to be the savior. Don't try to be the healer. If that's going to pull you back into that lifestyle, say, hey, brother, you should go to your pastors and leaders. I can't do this. 
Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5. Can we go a little bit further this morning? I know there's not going to be a whole lot of amens, anything like that. That is intended. But I just, as even as I'm, I was praying this past week, I'd find myself just weeping, crying out to the Lord, asking him to cleanse my heart, to cleanse us as a people. So 1 Corinthians, this church in Corinth was one of the more popular cities in Rome. Listen to what one commentator says about the church of Corinth. He says, Corinth was one of the most wicked cities of ancient times. Immorality, corrupt business dealings, and pagan practices abounded. The city had developed an unapologetic love of things and a love for pleasure. It was full of people who wanted to make money and have fun. The most well-known heathen practice was the worship of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, beauty, and passion. Her temple was located on the most prominent hill in the region, and it housed around a 1,000 temple prostitutes. If you ever saw in Scripture, sexual morality is connected to idolatry. The reason being, in the, in the first century, this kind of temple, the temple of Aphrodite, in order to worship her, you actually had to perform sexual morality with the prostitute. So you would go in there, you would pay the prostitute, commit sexual sin, and that was worship. So this morning, we're not even really addressing sexual morality. We're addressing idolatry. This is exactly what pornography is. You go to the website, you pay money, you commit sexual sin, worship. That was the idea in the first century church. I know today we just, it's a separate little side thing. It's not that big of a deal. But then it's idolatry. It's worshiping other gods. So 1 Corinthians 5. So Paul helps plant this church, and he knows they're in a really difficult city. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. I couldn't help as I read that if this were a letter written to Heart of the Father Ministry. Heart of the Father Ministry, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And he goes on to say, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and you have not mourned, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in, the, in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Jump down to verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle. He's talking about a previous epistle he wrote to them. Not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous, the extortioners, idolaters. Since then, you would have need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. Think about that. What kind of reputation would this, this church have if we actually kicked people out of the church because they were sexually immoral and they didn't want to repent? Is that not what he is saying? And if we were to do that, we would be, you guys aren't loving, you guys don't care. But here's the thing. This, it's not that the elders are kicking the person out of the church. This is Jesus himself. Is it Jesus who's doing this? 
It's not Paul. He's just the messenger. It's not the elders. We're just the messenger. This is what the Lord says to do. If a brother or sister is unwilling to repent for this issue, get them out. Don't even keep company with them. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging those who are also outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Verse 13, but those who are outside God judges, therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. Paul is overly serious, we would say. Calling the person an evil person, he tells them, hey, you guys are puffed up, you're prideful, there's no tears, you're not mourning. I've already judged this guy. You guys are slow to judge what's going on. Why are you not handling this issue? And we would say, Paul, chill, brother. It's okay, hey, man, it's chill. Be more loving. Hold on, wait a second. And I'm looking at this, why is Paul so serious? He even goes on to say, hey, when you kick him out, my spirit is with you guys in doing this, but also make sure the power of Jesus is there. Does it not say that in there? Look at verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's not even saying, hey, do it gentleness, be super kind, just overly. He's like, no, you need the power, the unction of the Holy Spirit to deal with this issue. So the question is, why is Paul so serious about this? brother is unwilling to repent. Why is he so serious? Verse 6, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? If this brother is living in sexual immorality with someone in the church, who else is doing it? If this sister is lusting after all of these guys in the church, then who are those guys lusting after? A little leaven will leaven the whole lump. It's the same for our own lives. A little seed planted into our mind of sexual immorality, and all of a sudden death is working in us because we did not deal with this little seed. One commentator says this, I am convinced to think Paul felt the witness and even the existence of the church was at stake. To fail to take this stand would eventually lead to spiritual contamination of the whole church. Paul was saying, if this is not handled properly, promptly and incisively, it will eventually permeate the whole church. Paul had learned that a church will eventually adjust to what it tolerates. Is that not true? A church will eventually adjust to what it tolerates. And as a leadership team here, we are committed to go with what God, God's word says. So if this morning, if I'm preaching something that's not in your word, then I'm in error. But I believe it's here. And so we're going to go with God's word. We're not going to tolerate these things. If you are unwilling to repent, we cannot tolerate these things. Now, let me say it this way. If you are unwilling to repent, Jesus cannot tolerate that in his church. This isn't even my church. This isn't Dave's church. It's not Barry's church. Jesus is saying to us, get this out of my church. Now, if you are willing to repent then it's a different storyline for you. We're going to come alongside of you. We are going to fight, and we're going to war. Just, and let me say this. Just because you're fighting this issue doesn't mean you're losing. Brother, sister, I'm fighting with you right now. Every single day, Lord, cover my eyes. I had to establish this rule in my life early on. When I go to the gym to work out, I would either look down or I would look eye level and up because the, the girls are wearing pretty much nothing. 
But that was my way to fight and to contend. And I did not get into condemnation and shame because I needed boundaries in my life. So this morning, we're, we're coming to fight. I'm not here to kick you down, you know, while you're down, kick you some more. If you're willing to repent, I'm willing to stand with you, and we can fight together. So he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. James chapter 1 says, when a desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. When you entertain these little thoughts, they're, they're in seed form. When you entertain a little thought, and it takes, it finds a little landing strip in your mind, and you entertain it, it'll lead you right to sin. And the longer you're in sin, the more death that's produced in your life. I know this from personal testimony. You know it too. It's true. So if we're really serious about this issue of sexual morality, then we need to be really serious about our thought life. I remember the severest discipline that I ever received from the Lord was on this issue. I was single, or sorry, I wasn't single, I was dating someone, and we weren't having sex, but I was spending the night at her house, and we were doing other things besides having sex, and I knew the Lord was telling me, stop it, don't do that, but I was like, no, Lord, I got it, I'm cool, I can do this, I can handle it, kept doing it, well, one morning, I woke up, and I had to put my contacts in, and I go to put my contact in, and all of a sudden, this excruciating pain just, like, shoots through my eye. And, I'm, and I literally, my eye just starts contracting. I can't open it. I can't get the contact out. Come to find out, when I took my contacts out the previous night before at her house, her roommate has this special um, eye solution that has alcohol in it. And you have to put the contact in this copper contraction, the copper will drain out the alcohol, and it cleanses the, it'll cleanse the contact. I didn't know that. And so here I am. My, we had a, she had to take me to the eye doctor. They gave me some, some, um, some type of gel. They said, put this in your eye. Your eye is extremely dry. The alcohol just, you know, sucked out all the moisture. Put this in there, and you'll be fine in a couple of hours. I'm doing that. And the whole day, a couple of hours had passed hours ago, and I'm still in pain. And I'm on my knees before the Lord, and I'm asking the Lord to, hit, like, touch my eye, heal my eye. Oh, my goodness. And I remember so vividly the Lord speaking to my spirit, and he said, Brandon, I told you to stop. And he didn't have to explain what he was talking about. I knew what he was talking about. I felt it so, it, I mean, that shook me to the core. As soon as I heard that, I'm repenting, I'm crying, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. And I repent, I repented to the Lord. And then what, what do you know, within the next hour or two, the pain subsides. But that was the Lord speaking to me. Brandon, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If your eye causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to sin, oh, it's just a hand, just an eye, not a big deal. No, that is not true. So I want to give you and give us this morning three keys to overcoming sexual immorality in your life and in the church. So in verse 3, this is huge, guys. If we want to overcome this issue, Paul says, you're puffed up, you're, pro, you're, you're full of pride, you haven't mourned. And he goes on to say, I'm absent in the body, but I'm present in spirit, and I've already judged this brother. In other words, if we want to overcome this issue, we need to judge this sin in our life. We need to judge it. Is this sin or not? It's like we're 50-50. Half the church says, yeah, brother, that's sin. The other half says, no, man, that's just life. That's just, you're, you know, that's just a young person's life. That's just that's a part of it. What is our judgment this morning? 
Are we going to judge this as sin? Any activity, any sexual activity outside of covenantal marriage, what is that to you? However you judge that is extremely important. Extremely important. You know that scripture in Matthew where it talks about how when you bind things in heaven or you bind things on earth, they're bound in heaven. You lose things on earth, they're loose in heaven. You know the context of that? We always use it in spiritual warfare and just kind of throw it around. The context of that is when your brother sins against you and there's sin in the midst of a community. If you go to him and he repents, you've won him. But if he doesn't repent, you get the church, the leaders, and it goes on to say, treat him as a heathen, as a tax collector. In other words, agree upon the same judgment of this issue. Because when you agree upon it, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the heavens. We haven't agreed on this issue. So we want to go into warfare against Jezebel, and we can't even agree if sexual immorality is sin or not. We're going to bind sexual morality and Jezebel and all this stuff in the spirit. And she's like, you guys don't even know what you're talking about. You guys can't even agree on if this is sin or not. And here she is just working in our midst, teaching and seducing God's people. So for you this morning, it's extremely important. Are you going to judge this as sin? You see it all the time, leaders falling to this issue. All the time. To me, recently, there's been a couple more that have come out, and honestly, the fear of the Lord comes upon me, and I'm saying, Lord, who, literally, who's next? Lord, how do I keep my, from not being one of those kind of people? And I feel like the Lord gave me a, a piece of wisdom here. He told me this. Those leaders who are falling into this issue of sexual morality and adultery, he told me they don't take their lust issue seriously. Lust is not really an issue. It's not a big deal. Think about it. They just don't wake up one morning and say, oh, I just want to cheat on my wife today. It's like, no. There's lust working in their lives, and they're not calling it out for what it is. If I look at a woman and I look her up and down, that's lust. Jesus goes a little further and says it's adultery. But I made a commitment in my heart, I'm going to call it sin every single time. Anytime I lust, I'm calling it sin, and I'm repenting for it. I'm not just going to give myself the benefit of the doubt. I'm telling you, if you give yourself the benefit of the doubt, if you give sin the benefit of the doubt, it's a little seed, but guess what? It's going to turn into death real quick. A little leaven leavens the whole So we must judge it. The second thing, verse 7, he says, therefore, purge out the old leaven. In other words, repent. Cleanse. Gosh, repentance is such a gift from the Lord. There's so much cleansing and washing that comes when we repent of our sin. And I'm not talking about being general, like, Lord, just forgive me for, for just a general sin. I'm talking, Lord, forgive me for my sins because I actually liked it. There was so much breakthrough in my life when I began to confess my sins and confess my heart attitude toward it. Lord, I actually liked that sin, and that scares me. God, I need you. Have mercy on me. My heart, Lord, something's not right. Get that thing out of there. But we're so nice and we're just casual with it. Steve Hill said, treating sin casually will cause many casualties. Purge the sin out of your life. Repent. Don't be nice about it. Don't be cute about it. Don't be just, oh, just all this language and lofty words. No, Lord, something in me liked that. Get this thing out of me. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. And I'm not even talking about just young people. I'm talking about married couples. 
God forbid there's a married couple in here and, and a spouse is in adultery right now. When you purge this stuff out of your life, when you repent, it just releases the power of the cross, which we sang about this morning. If you're feeling hopeless, if you've struggled for five months or 15 years on this issue, when you repent, the power of the cross is released into your life. Here's what Galatians 5 says. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You, we, you want to purge this, you need to crucify it. You want this out of your life, get up on the cross. We love the message, Jesus, he died for our sins. I love that message too. I will preach it till the day I die. He died for our sins. Do we know the other flip side? I have been crucified with Christ. A majority of the church, all we do is we preach, God forgives you. He forgave you. And that's a key ingredient. But also, the other side, you've been crucified too. You're dead too. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. If you want to put to death sin, and specifically sexual immorality in your life, ask the Holy Spirit. We're so used to the Holy Spirit just simply being the comforter, the cozy one, the nice one of the Trinity, just come to just, just rest upon your shoulder. This verse says that by the Spirit you do what? You put to death. Hold on, wait, wait, I thought Jesus, I thought the Father was, you know, they'll do. No, the Holy Spirit will come into your life. He will kill, he will murder sin in your life. He's just not the comforter that just makes you feel cozy and, oh, you feel warm today. No, he's coming with fire and he's going to kill. He's coming after sin in our lives. We need that Holy Spirit to come. So number one, we must judge this issue. We must purge this issue. And number three, we must consecrate ourselves. Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, here's what he says that's connected to this. Come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. There's mercy for us this morning. If we say, yes, Lord, I I want to consecrate myself. I'm willing to step into consecration. The Lord is welcoming us to this. He says, I'll be a father to you, you'll be my son, you'll be my daughter, but we actually have to take a step forward and say, Lord, I'm in error, I'm wrong, I'm going to judge that as sin, and I need it purged out of my life. In Revelation chapter 18, it's talking about the harlot, and here's what the Lord says. John says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so you will not take part in her sins, and so you will not receive her plagues. The Father's calling us to come out of harlotry. He's calling us to come out of idolatry. He's calling us to come out of sexual immorality. Come out of her. Come out of the midst of her, my people, says the Lord. He's reaching for us this morning. He's coming to cleanse us. Come on, if we're going to build God's house and we are excited to build a place where God can come and dwell, we have to do it his way. As a leadership team, I'm just going to tell you, we're going to do it his way. We're not going to do it your way. We're not going to do it my way. We'll go so far as what 1 Corinthians 5 says. If a brother and sister in here is unwilling to repent for this issue, not we, but the Lord is saying, get out. 
I know that's not popular. I know that's not cool. It's going to hurt the church growth structure, all that stuff, the finances. But, guys, this is the Lord's church. This is his. It's not mine. It's not ours. It's his. So come out from among them, says the Lord, and come under the blood of Jesus. We need the power of the blood of Jesus to take effect in our lives. We need to believe that the gospel can actually touch this issue. Do we believe the gospel of Jesus touches this issue? So as brothers and sisters in the Lord, as believers, what happens in the heart of God when we sin? What do you believe happens in his heart when he sins? This is huge. How you respond to this, how you believe his heart responds to you is life or death. But one man said this, when we sin, what's produced, what's evoked in the heart of God is a holy longing, a holy love, and a holy tenderness. When we sin, if we sin, we need to realize, and we're willing to repent, we need to realize that in God's heart, there is a holy longing for you. He wants you to be holy as he is holy. There is a holy love in you. As Barry said, it's not a pampering love. It's a holy love. It's a perfecting love in his heart. And then there's a holy tenderness. He will have mercy. He will have mercy because he wants you to be holy as he is holy. So if Allison could come up and play. I want to take just a couple of minutes before we take communion together is I want to give you the opportunity to get your heart right with the Lord this morning. I really believe this is part of the process in us building a place where God can come and dwell, where we can talk about this issue, and it's not, it doesn't have to be awkward, it doesn't have to be weird. It's in the Bible. We're going to go after this. But I really believe the Lord wants to cleanse us. He wants to help us this morning. The Holy Spirit is coming. We, we pray and ask the Lord to come like fire. Well, guys, this morning, that's what he's doing. So if you want to come to the altar, you want to sit, you want to stand, find a place. I'm going to give you just a couple minutes. We're going to repent to the Lord. Lust issues, sexual morality, it doesn't matter what kind of thing it is. We're going to get right with the Lord this morning, so I'm going to be quiet and give you a few minutes.
If I could have the deacons come forward to help administer communion. I want to encourage the married couples as well. It was just a couple of weeks ago, even Allison and I, we were talking about this very thing. We were talking about lust in our own lives with each other. That as a married couple, we have to fight for each other. We have to contend for each other. Don't let this be an isolated issue, even in your own marriage. Before we pass out communion, I do want to make mention of this. If you do not know the Lord this morning and you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you to repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus, do that today. Do that today. If you don't know the Lord, if you don't serve him, if you don't obey him, today is the day of salvation. If the Holy Spirit is witnessing to you to give your life to Jesus, could you stand? We want to celebrate with you. The Bible says angels rejoice in heaven. And one soul is committed to Jesus. Okay. So that means we're all believers in here. Amen. That means we all can partake of the Lord's communion. Amen. So if, if you're in the gray chairs, you're going to come up front to up here to these ladies. If you're in the black chairs, you got David and Stacy to go to. So could you stand and let's begin to make our way to grab communion. stand. Corinthians tells us when we take communion, let a man examine himself. 
And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. So what he's saying is that when we don't take communion seriously and we don't examine our hearts and get things out of our lives that we already know should be out of our lives, if we don't do that, we will remain spiritually weak, spiritually blind, and spiritual death will be working in our lives. So, Father, we come before you as your people. You are our holy Father, and we are your holy people. And, Father, I ask for the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. I ask for the power of the cross to be working in our community. God, I thank you for the blood of Jesus and his shed blood. God, your word says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So we thank you for the blood of Jesus and that we can be cleansed this morning. We can be forgiven this morning of sexual sin and sexual immorality. Father, would you help us to purge this sin out of our life? Would you purge this sin out of your church? God, you want a holy people. You want a holy church. So, Lord, come and find a holy place here at Heart of the Father. I pray you would find a holy people, a set-apart people, a consecrated people, people who are not connected with the ways of the world. Father, would you remove the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life? Would you find purity in our hearts? Would you find holiness in our hearts this morning? And Father, as a body, as a people, for Jesus, you are our Lord, you are our leader. And we thank you. We remember your body, your earthly ministry your death upon the cross, your body was beaten, body was bruised. We thank you for your body. We take the bread. Thank you for the cup, the cup of Jesus' blood. We thank you that it's through the blood we enter into the holiest place. We enter in to fellowship with you this morning. Lord, we don't enter in because we had a good week. We don't enter in because we abstain from sexual immorality. We enter in because we believe in the blood of Jesus. And we possess his blood over our lives. I just pray the blood of Jesus over minds and hearts this morning. Father, I pray we would hold in high esteem your blood. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us on the cross. And we receive your forgiveness this morning as we take of the cup. church. Are we a holy church this morning? I don't hear us. Are we a holy church this morning? A holy people set apart for the Lord. Believe it or not, I love you this morning. I care about your soul. And just, I was talking with a brother this week who was struggling with sin. And here's what got revealed in his heart is that sometimes we idolize and we believe our sin is so like big and powerful and then we minimize the cross and the blood of Jesus. So if you're going to walk out of here with shame and condemnation and your head down feeling guilty, I'm going to tell you you're idolizing your sin and your shame and your sexual sin. That's right. Okay? Yes. We're going to walk out of here this morning idolizing the cross, idolizing Jesus and his blood. Amen. Come on. 
So I don't know about you, but I'm going to have a joyful Sunday in the Lord. Be blessed. I love you all, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>